Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're in a sermon series talking about heaven. Last week talked about what should we expect there. And this morning we're talking about how do we go there. As you think about what it means when it comes to the afterlife, many people are still asking questions about that. What happens when we die? It's a great question, great thing to think about on Resurrection Sunday. It's not new, by the way, as well, because in the book of Job, Job chapter 14, verse 14, the question was asked, if a man dies, shall he live again? And we say yes, with Christ or separated from Christ, but we will live even though we die. Uh, years ago, I had someone in, my, in the church I was pastoring gave me a book like this, Jack Welch, entitled Winning. Uh, Jack Welch was CEO of General Electric and, and a powerful man, powerful leader, manager, uh, visionary in many, many ways. And in the book, he's talking about leadership principles as well as management principles. But also in the book, in the end, the, the title's chapter, Tying Up Loose Ends, and He's talking about his travels all over the world and he finds himself in some interesting places where there are thousands of people in the room and then it's an open mic time. They can ask him questions. Again, one of the strongest leaders you would ever be around. And so he talks about being in Copenhagen and being in other major cities and they're talking about various issues of how do you lead and how do you manage people. And there he says there's some other questions that people ask him. For example, to say, uh, do you ever see yourself running for uh, a political office? He answers that question. Uh, there was one city he was in, somebody asked him to say, how is your golf game? That's a great question to ask. And he answered that question. But he says in this book, which I find extremely interesting, he was in Frankfurt, Germany. There was about 2,500 people in the audience. Again, talking about leadership and management and leading people. And he said there was a time of a Q&A, 2,500 people, there was a guy who came to a microphone and wanted to ask Jack a question. And here was a question. And, and he didn't see it coming, but here was a question. Do you think you will go to heaven? That was a question. Uh, one, I'm amazed that somebody would have the courage to go to a microphone with 2,500 people in the room and ask a, a major leader that particular spiritual question, do you think you would go to heaven? And here's what he said. After a few seconds of stunned silence, my first answer to this was, well, I sure hope that's long-range planning. <laughs> Many of us might say that. And then he said this, but after the audience stopped laughing, they were so surprised by the question as I was, the man who asked this question made it clear that he wanted to understand what my legacy would be. And then after that, he goes in to talk about his legacy of being a leader, but also his legacy of being a parent and a grandparent and a great-grandparent. So he goes through all those things. And then finally he comes back and he says this, so as for heaven, here's his answer. So as for heaven, who knows? I'm sure not perfect, but if there are any points given out for caring about people with every fiber of your being and giving like all or giving life all that you've got every day, then I suppose I have a shot. Let me ask you on this resurrection morning, kids, students, adults, do you think, and I'll change the word, do you believe that you will go to heaven? Jack Welch said, you know, as for heaven, who knows? 
Well, that's why resurrection morning is so important because you don't have to doubt that. You don't have to wonder that. You can know that. You can know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. And, and as he says there, uh, you know, I hope it's based on good works because I've cared for people and I've done right things. Uh, I've got good news for you today. It's not based on what you're going to do or not do. It's based on what Jesus Christ has already done. And he gave his life on a cross and victorious over the grave. It's based on Christ in that sense. But here's what we're discovering, though. In our day, conversations about heaven, heaven seem to be disappearing. In many of our evangelistic conversations, we're not talking about what it means to know Christ and go to heaven. In many funerals, you may go to a funeral and you never hear heaven mentioned. And I think that needs to change. When we're talking to people about knowing Christ, we talk about, yes, we know him, but we have the assurance that we're going to go to heaven when this life is over. And then when we're standing before a grieving family, what do we talk about? We talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also talk about the assurance and the promise of spending eternity with him in a place called heaven. We talk about those things. But do you know that you're going to go to heaven today? Not maybe, not hope so, but do you know that you're going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, why do you know that? Uh, There was a second grade Sunday school teacher one day wanted to talk about heaven and how do you go to heaven with his students. And he wanted to make sure that they knew how to go to heaven. And he wanted them to really find out exactly what they already knew. So he asked them some questions. And here's these students, these boys right before him. And he says, hey, I got a question for you. If I sold my house and my car and had a garage sale and sold a lot of my possessions and I gave all of that money from the house, the car and the garage sale to the church, would that get me into heaven? And all the boys together said, no, that wouldn't get you into heaven. And so he asked another question. He said, well, if I took care of the church, meaning I cleaned the church, I mowed the church, church's grass, I opened the doors and locked the doors, I took care of everything that the church had to offer facility, would that get me into heaven? And all the boys said, no, that wouldn't get you into heaven. And then he came with this third question. He says, well... What if I was kind to animals and I gave kids a lot of candy and I helped older people cross the street? Would that get me into heaven? And all the kids said, no, that wouldn't get you into heaven. And finally, the Sunday school teacher said, well, what will it take for me to get into heaven? And there was this one boy in the room. He stood up and he said, you got to be dead first. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that, by the way, as well. You got to die first or Jesus Christ could come back and then we'd be raptured and we would be with him in glory. But how do you get to heaven? Well, I'm going to take a moment here. John chapter 14, encourage you to find your place in God's word. I encourage you to write these notes down because they're going to be important to you right now, but also maybe uh, this afternoon, tonight or weeks to come. But look at number one, handle emptiness correctly. As you and I think about this text, Jesus speaking He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now that word troubled is an interesting word because it means maybe somebody who has issues in life, maybe somebody who is empty in life. Have you ever found yourself empty in your personal life? I mean, there was nothing you could do that would fill the emptiness of your life. You were just empty in your life. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says in this passage, let not your hearts be troubled. You don't have to go through life being empty. You don't have to go through life being troubled. You don't have to go through life being fearful. He's willing to change your life. 
Now, as we think about John chapter 14, what comes before John 14? And you didn't go to school like I didn't go to school for nothing. John 13 comes before John 14. And so when you think about John 13, it is a challenging chapter in the Bible because the disciples refuse to serve. So Jesus bends down, he takes a basin of water and a towel, and he washes the feet of his disciples. Also in John 13, Jesus is going to predict what? The betrayal of Judas. And then he's also in John 13 going to predict that Peter is going to deny him. It is an interesting chapter. And then Jesus comes to John 14, 1 and says, let not your hearts be troubled. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be empty. You don't have to be afraid. But many of us understand what it's like to go through life troubled. I would imagine there are people in the room, people who are watching. You understand personally, firsthand, first experience, what it's like to face trouble in your life, maybe even today. And so as you think about this, we, we, again, live in a world that talks about emptiness. And the world says, you know, if you're empty in life, if you'll just get the position right, if you'll get the power right, you'll get the possessions right, the emptiness will be gone. But if you try to fill the emptiness with the things of this world, it's like drinking salt water. It just makes you thirstier in life. It doesn't satisfy the emptiness of your life. In Luke chapter 19... We're introduced to a character. His name is Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. He's not very tall. He heard Jesus was going to be passing through Jericho and he wanted to see Jesus. And when you look at his life, here's what we would say. He had climbed the ladder of success. He had also had all the world had to offer. He had the title and he had the money. He was filthy rich. But interesting enough, he had the right title, the right position. He had all the money you would ever want and he could get more if he wanted it, but it still didn't satisfy him. He was still empty in his life and he wanted to see Jesus as Jesus passed by. And so he couldn't see over the crowd. He climbed the sycamore tree and Jesus coming down the Jericho road, he stops, he looks up into that tree and he calls Zacchaeus by his name and Jesus wonderfully with grace and mercy changed his life. Zacchaeus with all the money and all the positions and all the power could not feel the emptiness of his life and the same is true for your life and my life. If you're afraid, you're empty. You're worried, you're anxious, whatever it may be. You can never solve that by the ways of this world. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And here's what we mean. Handle emptiness correctly. What that means is let Jesus fill your heart and your life. He's the one who can solve and fill the void in your life. It's Jesus and him alone. Number two, spell salvation carefully. When I was in the third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, uh, our teacher would come in sometimes back in the, again, this is a long time ago. And the teacher would come in. We didn't have electronic devices. We didn't, we had paper and pencils. Can I get a witness on that? And so we had paper and pencils. So the teacher would come in in those years and she'd say, I want you to clean off your desk. I want you to get out a piece of paper and a pencil and we're going to have a pop spelling quiz. And then I'd break out in a sweat. I'd be nervous as ever. And am I going to pass this quiz and so forth? So we'd take a spelling quiz. But here's the question. How do you spell salvation carefully? How do you do that? When you look at this text, here's what Jesus says, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You don't have to go through life empty or afraid or anxious or overwhelmed. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. He's talking now about heaven. I like the translation from the King James Version where it says, in my father's house are many mansions. Folks, I can't wait to get to glory and get a mansion. 
Isn't that going to be something? I don't know what exactly it's going to look like, but I promise you it's not going to have roof problems or electricity problems. It's not going to have water problems. It's going to be amazing when you get that mansion. And he says, but if, if, and he says, my father says, there are many mansions for myself would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is talking about heaven, but he's also talking about being with him in heaven and in glory. So what an amazing thing. But when you spell salvation carefully, how do you spell salvation? Now I know this. We know how to spell the word salvation. You know, we can S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. We can do that. Uh, we know how to do that. But how do we in practicality spell salvation in our day? What does that mean is, how do I have a relationship with Christ? How do I know that when I breathe my last physical breath, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven? How do I know that? And here's how many people in our world, many people maybe in this room, how we spell salvation. Here's the first one is do. Salvation, going to heaven, is based on what I do in life. Here's what I mean with I'm going to try to live a good life. Oh, I hope one day maybe I'll make it to heaven. I think I'll go to heaven based upon what I do. And what I mean is I'm going to be nice to my wife. I'll be nice to my kids. I'm not going to use foul language. I'm not going to use alcohol and drugs. I'm going to take care of people. I'm going to give money. I'm going to do all these things. So surely based on what I do and the life I live, a good life, God will allow me to spend eternity in heaven. Let me ask you this sobering question. If you spell salvation by what you do, then let me ask you this. Why did Good Friday have to happen? Why did the Son of God have to go to a cross, a humiliating, horrific way to die, a painful way to die? If you could be saved by living a good life, why did the Son of God and Savior of the world with outstretched arms, why did he give his life on a cross if we could be saved based upon what we would do in life? I promise you on this resurrection morning, Almighty God did not make a mistake by sending his only begotten son to a cross to give his life for you and for me. Many of us will spell salvation based on do. Number two is don't. Uh, We we spell it based on what I don't do in life. It's not what I do, it's what I don't do. I'm not going to mistreat my wife. I'm not going to be disrespectful to my kids. Uh, I'm not going to uh, live an immoral life. I'm I'm not going to do all these. I'm not going to, again, take alcohol and drugs. I'm not going to do all these things based on what I don't do. I'm not going to do all these things. So based on what I don't do, surely God will allow me into heaven then. And here's how we look at that. We take the good of life and the bad of life and it's almost like we have these scales. We'll put the good on the right, the bad on the left. And if the good outweighs the bad, then surely God's going to allow me into heaven. Same question again. If it's based on the good outweighing the bad, why did Almighty God send his only begotten son to a cross to die for you and for me? Here's the third word is don't, done. It's not do, it's not don't, it's done. What do I mean by that? It's what Christ has already done for you and me. As you and I think about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, understand this. It's based on what he has done. Here's the truth of the gospel. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what he's done for us. He left heaven and he came to this earth and he took on human flesh in a place called Bethlehem. We celebrate Christmas. 
He lived a perfect, sinless life, no sin in his life whatsoever. He surrendered his life to the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he died on an old rugged cross and shed his blood for you and for me and on, was placed in a borrowed tomb. But on resurrection morning, the women went to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. The angel said, I know you're looking for Jesus, but he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Jesus Christ appeared to people, ascended back to the Father, sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and me. And one day, gloriously, is coming again. Jesus Christ gave his life. This is what he's done for you and for me. We could never do it on our own. It's what Christ has done for us. And so I just encourage you on this resurrection day, make sure you spell salvation carefully. It's not what you do. It's not what you don't do. It's what Christ has already done for you and for me. Number three, trust Christ personally. Uh, Jesus gets into this conversation with Thomas and he said, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus uh, so beautifully said these words. We didn't make them up. The Southern Baptist Convention didn't make them up. We didn't make them up here at First Baptist Church. This is what Jesus, the Savior of the world said. And he said these, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus. I remember one time we were, I was pastoring in Northern Kentucky and I needed to travel to New Orleans, Louisiana and flights out of Cincinnati were pretty expensive. And so I decided I would drive to Columbus, Ohio and take a flight from there much cheaper. I'd only been to Columbus, Ohio one other time, didn't really know where I was going. And you have to realize uh, we didn't have Apple Maps or Google Maps or Waze or any of those things back then. You just look at signs, maybe a road map, you do the best you can. And so I'm driving north uh, to Columbus, Ohio, and I get—I think it's Interstate 270 or so. Not exactly sure where the airport is at. Didn't want to be late, so uh, men get stereotyped at times. We're not willing to ask for directions, so I wanted to defeat that. So I get off the interstate, find a guy in a store, and I say, am I close to the airport? Am I going the right direction? And he said, sir, I wish I could help you. I'm new kind of to Columbus as well. I don't even know where the airport's at myself. And I thought, well, good, that wasted five minutes of my time to do that. And so I leave the store, walk back out to the car. I look up into the sky and I see a jet that is descending. Now, I didn't go to school for anything, so I two things. Either that jet is about to crash or the airport is right over there. So I took the second option. I think the airport is right over there. Sure enough, I found it. But that guy didn't know how to get me to the airport, but I found the direction to the airport. If somebody asks you how to go to heaven, will you know how to tell them? Use John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus alone to go to heaven. It's not what you do or what you don't do. It is Jesus Christ alone to go to heaven. Now, when you look at that, look at this next one. What keeps people from trusting Jesus Christ? That's a great question, by the way, on resurrection morning. What keeps people from trusting Christ? I mean, here's a free gift of God, and, and you're lost, and, and you, you're not going to spend eternity in heaven, but you want to go to heaven. And Jesus died and gave his life for you and shed his blood, and the tomb is empty. Why wouldn't you trust Christ to be your Savior? Why wouldn't you make that decision and surrender your life? I'm going to give you these three words why many people... These are relevant in this room. Why many people uh, just keep them from trusting Jesus Christ. Number one, worldliness. It's the stuff of this world. 
I mean, they, they look at this stuff and, and we find in 1 John, and back in the New Testament, almost to the book of Revelation, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How many people today are going to miss heaven because of the things of this world? And here's what they look at. They look and say, look at, look at the house I've got. Look at the cars I've got. Look at the money I've got in the bank. Look at all the stuff that I've got. Look at all that I've acquired, all that I've achieved. Why do I need Jesus in my life? It's based on, look, I can take care of all this myself. It's worldless. Jennifer Rothschild is a, a women's speaker. Uh, she, she's an incredible woman of God and, and shares around the country. And we've been in some events where she's been at. When she was 15 years old, she had an eye issue. And she went to see a specialist and the specialist says, you have an eye disease and you're going to be blind here in the next number of, of times in your life. And Jennifer Rothschild sure as anything is blind in her life. By the grace and the mercy of God, she was she ended up and got married and, and the Lord blessed them with two kids. And, and the two kids would pray that their mama would receive back her eyesight. And I imagine if you had kids, they'd be praying the same thing. One day, one of the kids came in and said to uh, his mother, said, I, I'd like for you to play this game with me. And Jennifer said, son, you know, I'd like to play the game, but I can't see. I'm not going to be able to play the game with you until I receive back my eyesight. And Jennifer said, you know, the challenge of losing her eyesight, she said, I just couldn't remember what my mom and dad really looked like. I couldn't remember what certain people looked like, things looked like. And so here's her son saying, will you play this game with me? And she says, son, I can't play the game until I get my eyesight back. And then here's what her son said to her. Mommy, I don't think God's going to give your eyesight back. And she said to her son, well, son, why would you say that? And here's what her son said. Mommy, if God gave your eyesight back, he's afraid that he, he would never do that because you would love this world too much. From the mouths of kids. Let me ask you, how many of you are trusting in the things of this world? not in the things of Christ. Uh, many people are not going to give their lives to Christ because of this world. Number two is pride. Uh, pride is, is, an, is a reality that many people are not going to give their lives to Christ because of pride. I'll take care of it myself. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction. Be careful of pride. I was in a conversation with a man one day his life was kind of turned upside down. It wasn't going super well. He was trying to figure out how he handled those things. And, and so I gave him some insight to that and said, how are you handling things now? He says, pretty much I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to overcome this. It was based on what he was going to do. And then I got into a conversation with him about knowing Christ and having a personal relationship with him. And he wasn't assured of that relationship either. And here's two, two words came up in that conversation with a man whose life was turned upside down. He used the word pride and the word isolation. And I said to him, I said, you've got to realize the enemy wants you to be prideful because pride goes before destruction. And the enemy wants to isolate you because if he can isolate you from other people in your life, then he can take down your life and destroy you. And I used an example to say, do you ever watch these animal shows about lions in Africa and other places? How do they get their breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Well, they isolate another animal and then they take that animal down. And I said, the enemy wants you to be prideful and the enemy wants you to be isolated. 
I want to encourage you, guard against pride in your life. You can't do it just you can't do enough to go to heaven. You can't not do enough to go. You have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ to go to heaven. It's not pride. Number three, procrastination. What does Paul say in Second Corinthians chapter six, verse two? Today is the day of salvation. Uh, not next week, not next month, not next year, it's today. Why? Because today's all you've got. How many people look at it? And I've had this conversation time and time again with people. Again, kids, students, adults, all ages about giving your life to Christ. You know you need a relationship with him. But why do you keep delaying, procrastinating, putting it off? Well, I'll give my life to Jesus when I get my life together. You're never going to get your life together. I'll give my life to Jesus maybe next week or next month or a few years from now. What are you waiting for? Why are you procrastinating? What are you delaying for? You don't know what's going to happen in your life. We just came through March Madness. Any Connecticut fans here today? Wow, there's not any here. That's a, that's, I'm not surprised with that, really. Maybe there's one or two. I don't know. Uh, but but in Connecticut wins. But, but interesting enough, the first weekend of March Madness, when it comes to bracketology, you, you remember everybody fills out a bracket. You can submit them, and if you get it right, you win all this money. There were over 20 million brackets filled out for bracketology for March Madness. How many were still right after the first weekend? Zero. Out of over 20 million submissions, no one got it right even the first weekend. Folks, I hope you realize if we can't predict who's going to win March Madness, you can't predict what tomorrow's going to be like. There's only one person who knows what's going to happen in your life this afternoon and tomorrow, and it's the Lord God Almighty himself. Don't procrastinate giving your life to Jesus. Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next year. When the grace of God is wanting to change your life, surrender your life to Jesus Christ and trust him today. Today is the day of salvation. How does a person go to heaven? I didn't want you to fill in any blanks here. I wanted you just to look at these. This is the word of God. The Bible is inerrant, infallible. It's the authoritative word of God. The Bible says the word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. This is God-breathed. His word will not return void. This is the word of God. Here's what the Bible says, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal everlasting life. Here's what that Bible says. No matter what you've done in your life, Almighty God loves you and he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you. And if you would believe in him, believe on him, you should not perish but you would have eternal everlasting life. What does that mean? You will spend eternity in heaven with him. Look at the next one, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all is sin and fall short of the glory of God. Let me say today in this room, those watching, we're in the same boat. Not a few of us have sinned. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. You've sinned, I've sinned. We are a mess. We are separated from God. We cannot save ourselves. We've all missed the mark. We've all sinned against almighty, holy God in life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You think about amazing love. He loves us when we were sinners separated from him. And because of that, we couldn't save ourselves. He sent his only begotten son to a cross to die for you and to die for me. We cannot save ourselves. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is our salvation in him. It's Christ. That's how much he loves us. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know what you're going to get for Easter. I don't know what you're going to get for Christmas, but I'm telling you on this resurrection morning, God wants you to give the great, he's giving you the greatest gift you'll ever get. That is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation. Why wouldn't you receive the greatest gift in human history, Jesus Christ in your life? Trust him, receive him. Look at the next one. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one uh, confesses and, and is, is saved. Here's what that means. When it talks about saved, it doesn't mean you're saved from an automobile accident or falling out of a tree or something else. You are spiritually saved. Outside of Christ, you're spiritually dead, but in Christ, you are spiritually alive. Here's how glorious resurrection morning is. You may have walked into this worship center spiritually dead, but the grace of God and the love of God, you can walk out spiritually alive. That's why Easter matters. That's why the resurrection matters. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. He'll save you. He'll change your life. And then Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone in this section, that section, in this area, that area, if you don't know Christ, you'll call on the name of the Lord, not my name, not our pastoral staff, not our deacons, the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names, the only one who can save you, you call on his name. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. I sinned against you. I need to be forgiven change my heart and life. He will save you today. That's how glorious salvation is. Then 1 John five thirteen, I'll write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Jack Welch had it wrong in that book. So it's for heaven, who knows? He, listen, what does this verse say? If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you shall know that you have eternal life. You don't have to think so. Maybe it's going to work out. I hope so. I know without any question I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ changed my life. Changed my life. And we come back again. We say what? Well, I'm trusting in the things of this world. Don't, don't, don't do that. Well, I, I just if I go forward and, and, and ask about being saved, what are people going to think? Let's listen, get over pride in your life. Surrender your life. Humble yourself before God. Procrastination. Well, maybe I'll do it next week. Maybe I'll do it uh, maybe next month. Maybe in a few months down the road, I'll do it. You don't know what's going to happen in your life tomorrow, the next day, the next month. On Friday, Ange and I went to Somerset, Kentucky, and here is the, uh, the pamphlet from the funeral that we attended in the convention center there in Somerset, Kentucky. Andrew Graham Dotson. Brother Alan Dotson has been a dear friend of mine for many, many years in life. Uh, we've been in ministry together for a long, long time. In fact, when we were in South Asia back last August, uh, Alan was here and he preached in this pulpit for me on the Sunday I was going. He preached a message about baptism on that Sunday got the message the other day that uh, Alan's son, Andrew Graham Dotson, 
17 years old, playing football in a spring game last Friday, was involved in a tackle, wasn't a violent tackle, wasn't an aggressive tackle, no helmet-to-helmet type thing, but in a tackle in a spring game, suffered a brain injury on Friday, and he passed away on Monday. 17 years old. Healthy, loved life, loved to travel around the world. Israel was his favorite planet on the planet. 17 years old. Simple funeral service, glorious funeral service. When I looked and saw Alan and his wife Amy, I looked. I watched Alan during the funeral service on on Friday. He wasn't angry with God. He wasn't bitter with God. He was worshiping God. Alan himself said, "The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. May the name of the Lord be praised." football player, wore number 80, so all over Kentucky, Friday night, middle school campuses, high school campuses, university campuses, University of Kentucky, Western Kentucky University, they turned all their football lights on Friday night for 80 minutes because he was number 80. 17 years old, full of life. But here's the good news. Andrew's brother, Alistair, spoke in the service on Friday. He shared some jokes about him and his brother, but he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said that Andrew, he loved life, but he loved Jesus in his life. And he said, here's, he said, my brother is in heaven with Jesus. That's our living hope. Folks, I can't tell you, when I was seated there on Friday and casket being there in the front and you see these pallbearers come in ranging probably age 10 to age 17 that just tears your heart out but I'm just here to share with you on this resurrection morning let Andrew's life speak into your life the word of God you don't know tomorrow you don't know next Sunday If you're in this room and you're watching and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, you don't know if you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven. Today is the day to make that decision. Not not tomorrow, not next Sunday, not next week. Today is the day. I want us to bow our heads together and we're going to sing just uh, Jesus paid it all. Because he paid it all, then all to him I owe. In this room and watching, if you're a young child or you're a student or an adult, whatever age you may be, do you know that you're going to go to heaven? If somebody asks you that question like they asked Jack, do you think you'll go to heaven? What, what would you say? You hope so? Maybe? I think so. What would it be based on? How many of you can say, I know, I know, I know I would go to heaven. And here's why. Because Jesus paid it all for me. I want to encourage you on this Resurrection Sunday. Don't let the world get in the way. Don't let pride get in the way. Don't let procrastination get in the way. Surrender your life to Jesus as as a kid, as a student, as an adult today. Today's the day of salvation. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand in just a moment. If you need to give your life to Christ or you need to be baptized as a believer in Him, you need to join the fellowship of our church. 
or God's at work in your life in another very specific way that, that you need to surrender your life in ministry or in some other way to him, surrender your life. Let this be an invitation where you get right with the Lord in your life as a believer or non-believer. Let him change your life. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Not what you do, not what you don't do, what he has already done. So Lord Jesus, on this resurrection morning, thank you for loving us. Thank you for going to a cross and giving your life for us. And thank you for paying the penalty for our sin in full. And thank you for paying it all. And Lord Jesus, this morning, they're not coming to us. I pray they will come to you and say, I'm not going to let the world get in the way or pride or even procrastination. I need to surrender my life to Jesus right now. And we'll celebrate. We will rejoice. Heaven will rejoice. And Lord, we just desire to see people get right with you and have the assurance that they're going to go to heaven when this life is over. So speak in this invitation as we sing, Lord, and as we celebrate that Jesus paid it all. And so we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.